Hello and welcome to the Yellow Rugby Podcast. I've teamed up with Big Nev, who runs Bench Warmers and Rugby Smacks, to provide a weekly podcast that looks at all the rugby taking place in the UAE. Before we start, I'd just like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor for the show, RhinoMina.com. Rhino is a multi-sport brand developing team wear, leisure wear, training and match day equipment to more than 60 sports here in the Middle East. On this week's show, we have a chat with ex-Italian international turned coach, Aaron Persico. Aaron Persico. Aaron, I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, how are you? Yeah, uh, buongiorno. Salam alaikum. Kia ora, yeah. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. But yeah, um, everything's going well. Just enjoying um, a bit of a half midterm break. We've been currently having uh, open days in Abu Dhabi going into schools, but we've luckily to have um, Thursday, Friday off. All right. So, look, the first question I'll ask you is uh, what exactly are you doing out here and what brought you to Dubai? Yeah. Um, so, I moved to Dubai in 2016 um, as my wife was uh, working for Emirates, and I had currently finished uh, 15 years playing professional rugby in Italy and France and was just coaching, just finding my feet back in New Zealand, but doing long distance with my wife who was in Dubai and I was back in Auckland. And then um, it just sort of came to an agreement that I'll come and live in Dubai and just really was uh, got connected straight away with uh, rugby clubs, with the Dubai Tigers um, and worked there essentially for five years, coaching junior and senior men's rugby, and it was such a great opportunity. Um, so I did five beautiful years with the Dubai Tigers, and then I got approached um, by another Dubby club as during COVID. My wife um, got uh, made redundant, but and we got a, she got an opportunity to work for uh, one of the royal families in Abu Dhabi. So. Two years ago, I went to Abu Dhabi with my wife getting a job, and I also got approached to set up or run a rugby club in Abu Dhabi, so I took that opportunity. Um, and now uh, my wife got reappointed to work for Emirates, and so we're back living in Dubai, um, and I'm just commuting four days a week to Abu Dhabi. Oh, yeah, tell us about the, um, the Abu Dhabi job. What's the, the rugby club called that you've set up? Yep, so it's called Small Blacks Abu Dhabi in partnership with New Zealand Rugby. So we're quite fortunate to have, uh, we're one of the first franchises outside of New Zealand Rugby to hold the name Small Blacks. So we're in partnership with New Zealand Rugby. So what does that look like? They, they come over two times a year, uh, the New Zealand uh, Small Black coaches come in and they oversee our program. Also, they run Small Black courses for our coaches. So a pretty cool initiative. Um, and also, a lot of the New Zealand Black Ferns teams, one week prior to the Dubai Sevens, they come in, spend one week with us in Abu Dhabi, uh, training at our cricket stadium facility, and also um, come in and giving uh, lessons to our um, kids and our coaches. Yeah, cool. What, what age groups do the uh, small backs run through? Does it run right the way through to senior, or is it just mini? Yeah, we're just focusing on many and youth. So we've gone from under fours to under sixteens. Um, we've got teams all the way to under thirteens. However, um, I've got uh, four players playing under fourteens who train with us, but they also play with uh, other W French who train right beside us. So 
we've got a pretty cool partnership with them, but just giving our kids an opportunity to keep playing and uh, they can train with us and play for them. So, yeah, um, really excited how we've started, uh, considering this is our first year. And we're pretty lucky with a really good facility. Um, and we are a bit of a different rugby club as we are, are supported by Abu Dhabi Sports Council, um, which has its challenges, but uh, they're very supportive and we're very lucky to have that type of uh, support. Why was it set up initially? Like, is it just to bring through any good young player in the UAE? Is it? Um, yeah, it's, it's we were just focusing purely on uh, many and youth. So, um, the sort of the idea came about through the sports council um, is that they've got four big uh, passions. One is Man City football. The other one is uh, Abu Dhabi Formula One. Uh, Abu Dhabi golf and then the All Blacks so they don't know much about rugby but they love the All Black brand and, and sort of their legacy really so I was sort of um, my boss John Larkins who essentially had a touch background who runs uh, the cricket stadium he had a partnership with um, the New Zealand Silver Ferns women's team and this was pre-COVID and there were talks uh, back and forth for a number of years, really, about how we could uh, utilise um, essentially a base for New Zealand rugby away from uh, a base away from home. Um, and then we just uh, came about with different ideas, and we, we sort of thought that Abu Dhabi there is a space for another rugby club, um, and to do it well. So we came about with uh, setting up our Small Blacks Abu Dhabi and have that an opportunity for uh, our Abu Dhabi kids to grow through and have um, a diverse program focusing on development, uh, focusing on pathways. Yes, and uh, hopefully future opportunities uh, as we grow older, our age groups grow older. But at the same time, just really making sure that um, we're having a program that's uh, uh, open for kids new to rugby. That's our, essentially our main focus. And I go into a lot of schools just trying to um, get kids trying to play rugby as um, Abu Dhabi doesn't have as many expat kids. So we're trying to also tap into the Emirati um, space as well. So, yeah, uh, really excited uh, where we are just after almost year one and also um, how we can look into doing things better for um, the next couple of years. Yeah, cool. And you're obviously you're a Kiwi, so tell us your background and how you made it to, you know, come from New Zealand. How did you end up playing with Italy? Um, you can't tell after my beautiful accent, I'm Italian. <laughs> yeah, uh, I grew up in New Zealand um, and was very fortunate to grow up in New Zealand and just live my life as any young Kiwi would do. And um, I was the oldest out of three siblings um and yeah, just wasn't very good at rugby but just loved it um loved playing rugby went through the grades and my last name is persico um and there wasn't too many italians living in new zealand but uh always remembered when i went to my grandparents houses who they were both my grandparents were born in italy and moved to new zealand after the second world war but they didn't really teach me italian didn't really speak italian in front of me but I always remembered going to my grandparents' house and for lunch, there'll be three sets of plates. There'll be three forks and three knives. And then we'll sit around for three hours 
just talking and chatting. So had that really culture growing up. Um, then just going uh, through the grades in New Zealand, um, I sort of finished school. We made a couple of uh, rep teams. Uh, but then I really wanted to be a police officer once I finished school and wanted to be a police officer. And I went through my interview process um, and the police officer said to me at 21 years old, just said, the best life skill you can do is go overseas, travel the world and then come back when you're 25 and come into the police force. And I said, no, no, I'm ready to go in straight away. And he goes, no, believe me, go overseas, get some life skills. So I turned around and... Um, just asked my rugby agent. I didn't really have, he didn't do too much work for me and I, I didn't really want to ask him um, for any sort of help because when you do that, he's always asking for extra commission. But uh, I decided I'll just throw it out there that um, I wanted to play rugby overseas and there was any avenues through my Italian ancestry. So I called up my um, agent, Mike Fitztemanu, and he uh, happened to um, have a contact Italian scout who was travelling through New Zealand at that same time just because uh, the Italian national team qualified for the Six Nations and um, they were looking for young Italian players with, um, or Kiwi players with uh, Italian ancestry and uh, they wanted just to increase their player pool. So um, I met with uh, Fresco Tony, who was the director of rugby for Viadana rugby in a small town near Parma, just one hour south of Milano. And he sort of explained to me um, if I'd be interested in coming over to Italy um, for on a two-year contract, then I sort of, my first question, was, what, what would my day look like? And he sort of said, his English wasn't the greatest. And he said, you wake up, you do gym, then we have a, a pasta, then you have a siesta, then you have a coffee, then we play team rugby. And then we go out and have pizza. I go, great. Where do I sign? And he goes, don't sign, just shake my hand and I'll see you on the 1st of August. So that went about uh, as simple as it was. It was very semi-professional. Um, so went to um, Italy when I was 21 and I was really happy um, that I made that decision because um, I felt I did my time in New Zealand. I, I got coached by some really good coaches um, I was in a really good rugby club. We had a lot of the older boys in the team giving me a lot of lessons and a lot of life skills and advice. And I thought um, when I went to Italy, I wanted to give it a crack. And I sort of did a bit of research on the Italian rugby team and um, I sort of followed them for a bit, but I knew they had a pretty good um, spell, really, that leading up to the Six Nations. They did really well in 95, 96, 97, 98, B team. Wales and France and Scotland quite regularly and they deserve to um, get accepted into the Six Nations. So, yeah, went to Italy in 99 and um, it was actually the year of the World Cup um, and Italy had a disastrous World Cup, so which worked in my favour. Um, so from that, I uh, just went straight into my rugby club, Viadana, and just really put my head down and just... I asked my, um, my the Italian coach, I said, is there any opportunities, you know, for me to have any space to get into the Italian national team? And he said to me, if you play well for me, Viadana, I will put your name forward. And that's how simple the conversations were back then. So 
my whole sort of planning and thought process was just trying to do as well as I could for Viadana and play good club rugby. And I did that um, September, October, November, and I got an invited to a 60-man Italian squad training in December uh, 1999. And that was sort of those 60 players going, um, planning for the first Six Nations games in February. So long story short, that squad went from 60 to 40. And then it went from 40 to 22. And I I got a, I got um, sort of selected to be in that first 22 squad to play against Scotland um, in the first Six Nations game. And it was, the reason was, it was Scotland because Scotland won the last Five Nations team. So um, I was 21 years old and I um, never really played it in front of a, a big stadium. Um, of 25,000 people at Stadio Flaminio and it was a beautiful winter stay in Roma and um, you know it's quite um, fortunate really because within the Italian setup there's all Diego Dominguez, uh, Massimo Giovanelli, Alessandro Troncon, a lot of Italian players that have been through that uh, era of ni- rugby of 95 to 2000 where they were really dominant and there's really good players, really passionate and they sort of uh, were very supportive of me being in the Italian team. So, yeah, we um we won. We actually beat Scotland. We tipped Scotland over. Um, beat them at home, and Diego Dominguez was on fire, just drop kicking the ball from everywhere. So, all I had to do was uh, just hit my rucks, make my chop tackles. I got I got twenty minutes off the bench, and then um, once I sort of had that rugby experience, I said, "Man, there's no way I'm going back to New Zealand to <laughs> the police force." I want to. I just enjoyed that whole international environment. I go, man. I want to stick around here as long as possible. So from that, I ended up doing played up fifty six times for Italy, and then uh, played uh, eleven years club seasons in Italy, uh, three in France, and one in England. Yeah, um, I suppose the other question I'd like to ask, then Aaron. Yeah, because I was looking up on Wikipedia that like. You were there in, the, in Italy's first time when you were in the Six Nations, and I see you also went to the World Cup in 2003. Well, like, just tell us about Italy at the moment, because obviously we're looking at them this year in the Six Nations, and they look like they're vastly improved. Um, well, you were in that legendary team with such good players, you know, Dominguez, you said, the scrum half, Tronk on is it, the scrum half. But, like, is it starting to come back now? And would you would you still follow Italy would you still like? Do you ever get over Italy, and do you still follow them on the TV to see how how much it progresses the whole time? Yeah, no, it's um, I'm actually really proud to be an Italian, <laughs> former Italian rugby player. Before, from about 2010 to 2020, it's like having uh, money in crypto and just watching your money drop. This had the value the Italian rugby got at one stage, but um, you know, yeah, it, it's fascinating to see how um. Italian rugby has progressed. Um, and I still connect and keep in contact with a lot of ex-players, ex-coaches. Um, and it's a beauty about living in Dubai because we're only six hours away and it helps that my wife works for Emirates um, as I can get uh, return flights for 550 euro. Uh, Durham, sorry. Um, but yeah, just, just I just think um, how they're playing is, is just so exciting. Um, yeah, if you look at the Italian 22 players that are starting, you see all Italian names. There's no foreigners. Um, 
and they've got some good young players coming through the system. The Italian under twenty program is really um, efficient and successful. The Italian women's team is growing. Uh, there is sixty million people that live in Italy, and um, it's a bit of a funny that the population of rugby is growing. Um, the Italian football is in a funny space with the Italian national team not qualifying for the Qatar World Cup. Inter and New Venezia, Milan aren't as popular as what, what they used to be. So the Italian sport popularity is getting a bit of exposure. Um, I think it's helped if you look at uh, how well Treviso is doing now in the um, United Championship. Zebre are sort of um, are competing, but it's struggling a little bit. But uh, Treviso for the past six or seven seasons have been always sort of in that top four space and playing against regular competitions, the Munsters, you know, your Leinsters, and being able to play at that level. Um, and it's helped now a lot of the Italian players have come back into that uh, franchise. But I just look at it as um, the Italians have sort of changed, just take a little bit longer to adjust their culture with um, high-performance sport. Um, I think they've just relied on um, your three-hour lunch, three-hour passes and siesta just to get them as far as they did, but they have um, over the heavily invested in the infrastructure, heavily invested in their facilities, and uh, the Italian setup. Have you have got um, some experienced foreigner coaches with Kieran Crowley, who is an old school Taranaki New Zealand coach, but have experience. But he's just so calm. He um, he brings he knows to get the best out of the boys. You can see how they're playing. They want to play from everywhere. And they want to um, move the ball, so I think they're getting their systems um, in place. They've got some good personnel, some good coaches. Uh, they've got some good Italian players um, that are exciting to watch. And how they want to play, uh, they're playing the right game plan, um, and they're not afraid now to play against your France and Englands and take the game to them and run the ball out from your twenty-two. So. Um, it's exciting, really, for Italian rugby. With, um, it's sort of, I sort of compare them to Japan, really. Japan, where they are at the moment, how J the Japanese rugby want to play, and I sort of compare them on par with them. Yeah, I know you um, You did play when you came to the UAE, didn't you? You played for a bit for the Tigers. How was playing rugby in Dubai different from where you played previously? Yeah, like, um, I, I guess for myself, it was just that um, life after rugby, what's it going to look like and what do I want to, um, you know, come into Dubai, what, what do exactly do I want to focus on? And I think, um, you know, you come to Dubai, you're a bit oblivious to life over here. And I, I sort of looked into personal training and and then um, but I was very surprised to see how big rugby was here, especially in the schools and the junior club space. So um, from where I sort of, Arrived in 2016 to 2022, I think uh, most rugby clubs, their numbers are up by 15%, um, just with the popularity of the sport. Um, and, you know, there's, I guess that, you know, it is an amateur sport in the senior men's space. Um, I think COVID, unfortunately, has took a while for us to recover, but I think we did a really good job during COVID to come up with a tennis side game and be adaptable. Um, but I think, you know, during COVID, the clubs are now collectively working together. They want to come up with a better product. They want to get um, 
the all game, the senior men's rugby and junior rugby to grow and it, it is doing that. Um, and, it, you know, you look around now, you know, with the Sharks, for instance, Dylan Hartley and Peter Stringer involved, um, there's going to be some good ex-players come out and live in Dubai just for work, uh, rugby opportunities. And I get you know, a ton of messages through LinkedIn of realising how good life is here in Dubai and, and people wanting to come work and play here. So um, I guess it hasn't helped if you look at the, you know, the UAE Premiership and West Asia Premiership. Uh, there are five teams in there. It'll be nice if Hurricanes can come back. Uh, but it's exciting to have Bahrain back in there. Uh, I think the standard overall has has been at a pretty good level. I think the referees uh, have improved as well, um, and you see probably you know Tigers, Bahrain, and Exiles the top three, and on their day Quins and Dragons can um, tip anybody off. So it's quite even in, in that aspect um, as the Dragons have beaten. Exiles before and Harlequins have been the Tigers before. So it's still quite um open and I guess our semi footy rugby is happening in end of uh, March and it's gonna be pretty exciting. Uh where do you see where do you think you see the game in five or ten years' time, Aaron? Do you think it's going in the right direction over here? And the other thing is I'd like to ask you, like or do you get out to many of the league games? And the other thing I'd like to ask is um is that are you in favour of like paying the players over here? Like because I just think like some of the clubs over here, like like take the Sharks now and the Tigers, right? We we both train in Sports City, and like I always think like wouldn't it be great if like I know it's very difficult over here, but like I'd like to see more of that money going back into the clubs, you know, and and maybe trying maybe the Sharks or the Tigers trying to get a club facility of their own, like you know, like what what do you think of maybe putting the money back into like are you in favor of paying the paying the players, or would you be more in favor of putting it back in to grow the youth and grow the club? Like, what's your opinion on that? And what, and what do you think of the standard of rugby in the league here? Yeah, um, I guess, uh, you know, Tigers have made a big announcement this week with uh, their new uh, facility, Tigers Park, uh, just uh, behind um, the Ripe Market and the Dubai Police College. So that's given them a good of a base and um, a bit of security, really. Uh, I think... You know, um, it is an interesting discussion and I, I think we've got to look at um, what is rugby going to look like in three years' time. Do we want it to, to grow or do we want it to be something like, um, I guess you compare, not what's happened in the States, but um, compare it to another country that have got a similar setup. Well, I think we've got to look at, um, you know, the personnel of our rugby players, the expats. And there was a couple of Emirates, but you know, people come out here to work and and how we can best support them through rugby. Rugby, you know, is a great platform for people to come out here to connect, meet people and grow it. And I know, um, for example, the Tigers players that um come over here, they cut they they kind of get coached, they coach and they get paid through coaching. Um so and our focus at the Tiger the Tigers is um the many and youth. And the senior men's rugby is second. Um, so they're role models for those men and youth. And each club has got their own values, their own philosophies, and their own setup. But um, I think, you know, we've got to look at uh, rugby as uh, the men and youth is probably the most important part because that's where the numbers are. Um, 
senior men's rugby is growing. Uh, there's been good now uh, developments with the UAE men's side growing. And I know there's been an announcement with the Asia rugby with all the 12 countries uh, working together to have that type of league. So it starts from up top if, if, um, uh, if we can have something to work for um, and have a league or a franchise set up. I think that'll be a game changer for the UAE rugby. Uh, at the moment, the, the current standard is um, is uh, not too bad, you know, uh, considering um, the beautiful thing is, you know, it only rains four times a year, so you can move the ball into space. And um, if your fitness levels are right, your skill levels are okay, you can um, play some exciting rugby. Um, obviously, you need to have good referees, which I think they're doing a, a pretty good job. And then um, the, the, the structure of the season probably needs to be look at how we can restructure that and just make it more consistent with too many breaks. But I think um, just to summarise, um, I think hopefully, uh, in, let's say between three to five years, there will be some sort of semi-professional setup involving with turning it into franchise, like the Dubai franchise, the W franchise, and playing with other. Asia rugby franchises and then growing that, I think um, that's where we need to look to. Do you play still for the Tigers? Um, just currently coaching senior men's rugby. Have you had the urge recently to ever put the jersey back on, lace up and get on there? 45 now. So, um, and I, 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 the good thing about it in our, our club, we've got, we've got a base of 60 daily players. So, um, the players, um, we've got depth, so we're not that desperate to call on an old veteran like myself to come in. Um, the, the game, you know, it's quite fascinating. The game has changed, you know, it's, it's definitely um, a bit more of a power game, so the players aren't getting any smaller. Um, and it's, I think, just for me now, I just want to really focus on um, my coaching um, career and, and really focus on that and not getting caught up in uh, my my playing days are over and just really focus on how I can best coach a team and get the best out of that team, even if it's somebody, um, you know, that's quite new to rugby, but also giving him the, the support to, for him to do well out there and play. Yeah, because, I mean, along with your experience of playing here in Dubai, um, who's been the best player that you've played against when you've uh, been playing, whether that's in New Zealand, Italy... France, England, all back here in the UAE. Um, yeah, I guess uh, you'll be happy about this, Alex. Um, I've, 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 when I was playing during in Italy, uh, I actually played with them with the uh, Barbarians as well. But um, yeah, I was always uh, fascinated with Brian O'Driscoll uh, as a player, how well, how quick he was, his running lines, his time and his catching and passing and just being able to bounce out of tackles. Um and then another, so yeah, playing um, in Europe was Brian Driscoll. And then I guess in the UAE, uh, I guess a player that has had a big impact um, in the UAE, and he actually also played rugby in Italy, was um, Durant Gadba uh, for the Exiles. Um, good, good player, solid player, but just how well he was just leading that team with his leadership and just touching the right ball at the right time, the right play. and. Also, Exiles always had a good forward pack, but he just managed to 
kick the ball in front of them, keep them going forward and always put the best out of the Exiles um, team. Yeah. Um, Aaron, do you think, like, in terms of rugby over, because I think you make a, you made a very good point there that, like, there's too many gaps in the season, I think. Uh, do you think there may, needs to be more of a coming together of the clubs over here, you know? And, like, it's actually a great place to play rugby as well because, like, I came from playing club rugby at home and I thought I was nearly finished, but it's a great place that you can nearly extend your years over here too, like, you know, you want about there, you were half tempted to try on the boots, you know? But, like... What, do you think there needs to be more of a, a coming together with the clubs, you know, and maybe get a better structure? Because one thing that does annoy me, and I'm a pure 15s player, I'm not a 7s, is that there's two months off for the 7s, you know? So there's the whole of, no, month of November and there's the whole month of December. Now, I know we got a lot of teachers and people go home for Christmas, but do you think more can be done there or something like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's of, um, so to answer your question, uh, you know, post-COVID, the clubs are working better together. So they've got a rugby uh, committee called the RCC. And um, they do come together and they're working a lot better, um, which is great. And they then propose a league or a timetable to the UAE rugby and the UAE will approve it and sanction it. So they are talking and communicating. Um, each club has got their sort of own agenda and what works best for them. But overall, they are looking at what's best for the for the program. Um, I guess they had the introduction of the President's Cup as well, two weeks before the um, Sevens. I thought that worked out really well. Um, and I guess now, you know, well, I think a couple of things we can look into it. We can potentially look to start a little bit later on how hot it is in October, playing your first rounds with the humidity um, and how nice of the weather it is now, really. Um, potentially, if we can potentially play more rugby in March, April, so, um, I, I think you know it's it's if you look at that calendar um, and trying to put everything where it doesn't clash with school holidays for teachers, um, and the hardest thing is when teams had a premiership team in Division One side, then Division Two, and it's all of a sudden six or seventy players. Um, I, I think for me, um, what I think is the biggest weakness um, is probably. Uh, props, props, and I know um, you know we've got to uh, look at that and say most clubs are pretty good out here in the UAE, but the, the, the clubs that struggle the most is just trying to find two quality props. And it's pretty hard to play rugby when you haven't got any props, as you would know. So I think um, as a group we can look at doing you know, getting approved by World Rugby is um, looking at um, heavy list scrums, um, what they might look like. Just so they don't have to go. Gold. I don't think we need to go golden oldies because the, uh, the scrum is an important part of the game. But one thing, and a couple of coaches have spoken to me about, is um, how we could look to have less scrums, and um, that way you don't need to have um, three front rows on the bench. Or um, so another concept was, which was brought to my attention, was we can look at um, having scrums. Okay. Um, go to free kicks in the 22. So no scrums in the 22s and attack and defense. That way, just less scrums in, in the game. And that way, they hopefully, you'll speed the game up as well. So um, I think that's how we've got to look at the game and just trying to find out ways where we can just create participation and create also competition. Well, I, I'm a prop, so I'm going to vote against you with that one now. So more yeah. scrums. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um. Just, just finally, for me, Aaron, I, I just want. Well, 
Final two questions, but the first one I ask you is that um, so you're leading the, the the blacks over here, and what in Abu Dhabi, the small blacks, and what uh, where do you see yourself in five or ten years' time? Do you think you'll still be at that, or do you think you'll return home to New Zealand eventually, or what's the plan? Yeah, um, I think for us as a family, I've got two young kids, a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and we're really enjoying life out out in the UAE. Um, with raising our two kids. My wife's um, very well connected with her family, but it's lucky the staff, Emirates staff travel, were able to get um, my wife's family uh, back to back to Dubai once once a year. So um, I've spoken to my wife that we we want to do another five years in the UAE, just to put a plan in place. Um, we love New Zealand. There's also no rush to go back home to New Zealand. Um, so yeah, for me, just um, I see myself yeah, been heavily involved in, in rugby and hopefully growing the Small Blacks Upper Dhabi rugby program and also uh, helping out the senior men's rugby space as well as I'm also involved with um, the UAE senior men's rugby 15-a-side uh, team as well. So hopefully to get more involved with that, with um, hopefully some international matches. Um, I believe there's going to be some international matches in um, April, May and just try to get more into that space where I can look to grow myself as a rugby coach and get more international experience. Yeah, I know. I, I just finally then last question for me is that um, in terms of Italy, because, you know, we were saying how oh, they've improved and they've pushed on. Like one thing one someone said to me before is that the rugby in Italy is very up to north based, you know, it's Treviso and Zebra. Do you think Italy should try and get a club in Rome, you know, I think that'd be a real game changer. Get a team in the capital, and I think that'll really push on. Yeah, um, the they have had ongoing discussions, knowing the fact that how well Treviso has uh, proven, but Parma, where the Zebra is based, that's where the Italian Federation is based as well. Um, so there's always been that political uh, discussion. Um, it just gets caught up in, in it all with Rome. I know that Rome is a big international city, um, but just whether they've got that fan base to uh, provide and support a franchise. I think um, there is an opportunity and space for it. They wouldn't be able to play at Stadio Olimpico where the national team plays because that holds 80,000. Um, but where most of the rugby clubs do come is, is north of Italy. Uh, there are two or three... Division two clubs, but majority of the uh, rugby clubs are based around Milan, Venice, Parma, Tus Tuscany. Um, if you go south of Rome, there's a lot of uh, Division two. There's teams in Sardinia, there's team in Palermo, uh, there's team in Napoli, but they're, they're very amateur. They don't have the structures in place. Um, the Italian Federation, I think. Uh, I've got a pretty thing going at the moment and it's working. Um, they've heavily invested in the infrastructure in Zebre and because the, the Italian winters are really cold. You know, it's um, it's consistently cold. So they had to heavily build, you know, astro turf fields, indoor facilities. Um, so, yeah, I think if anything, maybe a third friend, you know, in five years' time, if the Italians have growth, there could be there could be an opportunity for that third franchise. But um I think um the, the, like I talked about there, the under twenty programs going really well. 
um, there's more kids playing rugby and uh, the women's program's growing. So, yeah, so far, so good. Um, Aaron, just, I suppose, the final thing I, I just wanted to ask you is, what's your prediction for the Six Nations? As a former Italian player now, what, where would you be happy? What's a good result for Italy? Would you think they'll, surely Wales will get the wooden spoon this year, you know? Yeah, it's, um, I think this year, it's, it's such a fascinating World Cup, our World Cup, sorry, Six Nations with, you know, Wales changing their coach, England changing their coach, um, you know, so much pressure on France and Ireland, how well they've been playing. But I think the best game of rugby I've seen for a long, long time had to be that France-Ireland game. You know, a high-quality match, scored uh, changing. Um, and it was just such an awesome game to watch into two different styles of rugby as well. Um, so, yeah, Italy, you know, I guess I played um, England and um, France. I think they could be quite content and comfortable going into um, the last three games. Uh, Wales... Um, will be they'll they'll be definitely looking to you know tip over Wales. Um, Wales have got a few off-field problems at the moment with player contracts and players haven't um, agreed to a contract with the Welsh rugby, so they've got a few um, problems in the background there as well. Uh, so yeah, I think Italy have got two opportunities to knock over. Um, to Wales and we've got Scotland at home as well and then anything can happen for their their game against um, Ireland yeah so you're calling Wales for the wooden spoon and the last two things is who's going to win the Six Nations and who's going to win the World Cup I'd say um, Ireland will win the uh, Six Nations and the World Cup yeah and um, uh, Italy will come second to last um, and then the World Cup, um, I think New Zealand, after the experience last year of um, adversity, they'll come through with um, all the experience. And I think they've, got, they've made a couple of shifts with uh, Geordie Barrett to 12. Uh, I think they've got the right players now to, and have the right strike power to, to win the World Cup. Is that your head or heart speaking with that prediction, or Aaron? Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I think um, overall, man, uh, there's going to be eight potential teams winning the World Cup. So it's going to be a fascinating World Cup, especially the fact that uh, New Zealand and France um, will be in the crossover pool with the pool of Ireland and South Africa. So if New Zealand beat France, they're going to potentially play South, um, South Africa or Ireland in the quarterfinals. Definitely. Right, uh, we'll just finish with this then, Aaron. Um, quick fire questions in 60 seconds, okay? So, um, yeah. favourite food? Pasta. Favourite golf course? Um, Hills Club. Uh, how often do you do your dirty laundry? Uh, twice a week. Favourite holiday? Uh, Sardinia, Italia. Who would play you in a movie? Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Biggest fear? Um, oh, the Ferrari World uh, roller coaster. Uh, craziest thing you've ever done? Bungee jumping. Best book you ever read? Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. 
And uh, and finally, tea or coffee? Cafe espresso. Keep it, keep it Italian. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, no cheers, boys. And uh, keep up the good work with trying to grow the community again. We'll be back again next week with another special guest. Please spread the yellow rugby love. I'm Alex the John O'Johnson, and thanks for listening.